Now, Exodus chapter 14, what we see here in this passage, however, is not the anatomy of courage, but the anatomy of fear. So please join with me now as we go uh, consider Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pirahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now bear in mind, the people of God, our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites, the Hebrews or the Jews have left the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, and have embarked now in a journey through the wilderness on the way to what we call the promised land. So that's quickly the context. I'll fill that out a little bit later in the sermon itself. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, especially these verses, verses 13 through 15. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Or another way of translating that is you only have to be The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Don't tell them to stay put. Don't tell them to surrender. Don't tell them to sit there and cry. Tell them to move. Move forward. And of course, that takes courage, right? So we're going to look at courage this morning. The Bible really does, if you think about it, have a lot to say about courage. Now, um, if you were here yeah, last Sunday for our Easter service, remember that I began the sermon with this statement. I said, you know, the Bible that possibly you have in your hands, 
Or the Bible that Elder Len talked about in his prayer. Do you remember what he said in the prayer? He talked about thanking God for the, for the Bibles that many of us have in our homes, this precious book. I said last week that this, this book is not only a book about faith, but it's also a book about doubt. He gives us many examples of doubt. And last week in our Easter service, we considered the man doubting Thomas. Now, I want to follow that by saying also this, that the, the book that I have here in my hands is not only a book about courage, but it's a book actually about fear. And let me tell you, I don't know if you know this book very well, but if you do, you'll know that it oftentimes says that we are not to fear. We are to be a courageous people, a bold people, the kind of boldness that we see that when the church launched upon the scene in the New Testament after the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit, we see them going out boldly with the gospel. All right. Let me, before I get into this passage, let me ask you this one simple question. I want you to think about it. What is the most frequent command in the Bible? The most frequent command. Now, kids, you know that there are many commands that God has given us. God is always saying, giving us directives, say, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. But sometimes he frames his commands negatively, where he says, don't do this, don't do that. And if you remember, as we were looking, or maybe you were looking at the overhead while I was reading the Ten Commandments, you find a lot of do nots, right? Do not, um, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, don't, don't, don't. Okay. What is the most frequent do not command in the Bible? Anybody know? You know, just say it. Do not fear. Very good. I like the way that it was said, because there's no fear in that, right? Do not fear. Now, if you look at your Bibles and you would take time to figure out how many times that phrase, do not fear, or do not be afraid, is mentioned, you'll see that it's mentioned 365 times. 360, <laughs> that's a lot. No wonder it's the most frequent command. If you think about it, that's one do not fear for every day of the year. You could get up in the morning, okay, and sit up in bed, and you could say the first thing you say to yourself is this, do not fear. As I enter into this day's work, do not fear. Do not be anxious. You could say that every day for a whole year, and then you would cover all the times it's said in the Bible. That's a lot. That's a lot. And yet, and yet oftentimes we do fear, don't we? Why is that? Oh, would that we would have greater trust, I suppose. But we fear, we fear because we're human, we fear because we're fallen. And we also fear because many times in our lives, 
when we face these circumstances that create that fear or the anxiety or the certain forms of insecurity, what we tend to do is oftentimes we fall into what I call horizontal thinking or horizontal perspectives. We just see the circumstances that are around us, kind of like what the Israelites did. But we don't always times look at the, the things that we face from a vertical perspective. I know that's really, really simple, but it's true, isn't it? Because if we would look, examine our fears and our insecurities from a vertical perspective, then we would find over time, very quickly, I think, that our fears would dissipate, but oftentimes they don't. So what we're going to look at this morning is the anatomy of courage, the importance of courage in following Christ and being a part of this church, or whatever church that you are a part of here this morning. Yes, we are going to take a look at the importance of, in the words of our text, Moses says to his people, he says, stand firm, and what I want you to do is I want you to watch. I want you to watch what the Lord is going to do in you, through you, but sometimes despite you, despite you. All right, let's go and take a look at the passage. Now, kids, I want you to listen up, because um, we're gonna, I'm going I'm to mention some things over the next five, ten minutes, and you can easily follow along. We're going to consider the main points of the story. I can't cover everything, it's too much, but I'm going to cover some of the backdrop or what we call the context, that is, the events leading up to this point. So the people of Israel, who constitute God's people in the Old Testament, we call them our spiritual ancestors. The people of Israel, also known as the Jews or the Hebrews, are in a land that is not their own. It's a foreign land. It's a land of enslavement, and it's a land of oppression, and they have been in that land for many, many years, in fact, 400 years. In fact, actually more specifically, and we read about this in the book of Exodus as well as the book of Galatians, that they were in the land of oppression, the land of Egypt, for 430 years. That's a number of centuries. It's a long time, isn't it? But by the grace of God and by the might of God, God delivered his people from Egypt and said, you know what, your time is done here now and I'm going to lead you out of Egypt through the hand of a leader that I have placed over you. He's a leader who doesn't feel competent to lead you, but I have chosen him and his name is Moses. And Moses is going to lead you out and he's going to lead you out of Egypt through a desert, through a wilderness, and eventually he is going to lead you up to what we call the promised land, also known in the Bible as the land of Canaan, a land flowing, the Bible says, with milk and honey, a land that is productive, a land that is beautiful, and a land that the Israelites will find out is rather hostile, and that's why God says, you know what, it's not going to be easy to take over that land, you're going to have to drive out the peoples of that land, but you know what, the whole earth belongs to me, and I've given you, my people, that land. called the promised land because many years before, many centuries before, God promised that land to a man named Abraham. And Abraham grew up in a land of darkness, and he did not know God, and his father was Terah, a worshiper of idols. And God came to Abraham, and he called him out of darkness. Abraham heeded the command of God, and God entered into what we call covenant with him. That is, an official bond of friendship and love with Abraham. God did not have to do that, but he did it. That's why we call this covenant, this relationship with God, between God and Abraham, as a covenant of grace. And as a gracious God, God said to Abraham, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you two things, descendants, and I'm going to give you a land. 
And this was a stunning thing because Abraham and his wife Sarah, about 75 years old at this time, and they never had any kids. Now, if somebody came up to you at 75 years old and said, you know what, you're going to have kids, you would be astounded. And Abraham and Sarah were. But God says, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to give you descendants, as many as the sands of the seashore and as the stars of the sky, and it's those descendants are who are going to go into this land and inhabit that land that I have promised you, the promised land, the land of Canaan. All right, now is the time for that promise to be fulfilled. You know, the thing is, with the promises of God, he doesn't always fulfill them. Oftentimes, he doesn't fill them immediately, but over time. He makes us wait to trust in him. Let me tell you something. When God makes a promise, he never lies. He always fulfills it. So, Israelites leave the promise, uh, leave Egypt. They go on the way to the promised land. They've just left Egypt, and now they're embarking the promised land to a desert, to a nasty wilderness. Now we come to the main point of our passage. That's the background. Kids, did you get that? You following me now? Now, I want you to follow me further, because I want you to enter into the story, okay? I want you, you, you have a rich imagination, so think about this. Let's say you're not sitting here now, but you are an Israelite, you are a Jew, and you're with many, many other Jews, hundreds of thousands, and you have left Egypt, and you're beginning to go through the, uh, through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And as you're going, one day, you see with other people, there is this dust being created in the desert, in the sand. It's more and more being built up, and you're wondering, what is that all about? And other people are looking as well, and you see people starting to get nervous. It's an ominous situation. Ominous means it's somewhat scary and heavy. And then you begin to see individuals coming forward toward you, and you realize that it's an army And people start talking and they say it's the Egyptian army. And you see men and you see officers and you see horses and you see chariots. In fact, 600 chariots in all. This is a huge army. This is like Russia invading Ukraine. And this army is coming closer and closer and closer to you. And people start talking among themselves and like, we have to get out of here. We, 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 we got to get out of this situation. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And you, and you look around and you go, yeah, where are we going to go? Because if you go to your right or to your left, there's nothing but desert. There's nothing about, but wilderness. And you try to run. You try to run. If there are hills around, you try to run for the hills. I tell you what, the army will see you and they will chase you down and they will kill you. But even if you escape, what are you going to do? There's no food, there's no water. You'll die in the wilderness very soon. So you can't go right, you can't go left, you can't go back because if you go back, you're just going to run into that army and be killed. And, well, there's only one other direction to go. And it's that way, it's forward. But what's there? It's a big body of water known as a sea, known as specifically the Red See, so the people around you, and you too, you realize very quickly that, that, that you're trapped. You're trapped, and there's no way to go, nowhere to go. And, and, and then you start hearing people, and, they're, and they're, they're crying out. And they start crying out to the leader Moses, and they said, Why? Why did you lead us out of Egypt? Why have we left Egypt? 
I mean, it would have been better. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to have to die here in the desert. I mean, what? There were no graves in Egypt for us to be buried in time? No, you bring us out into the wilderness. Oh, we're a free people, but we're free only to what? To die? These kinds of things. We read in verse 10, the Egyptians were marching after them and the Israelites feared, not just feared, they feared greatly. Kids, they were scared out of their wits. They were, they were paralyzed by fear. And they're, they're crying out to the leader, what are we, we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And then Moses responds. But before we get into that response, what I want to do is I want to, you've got remote controls at home, right? You watch Amazon Prime or Netflix or what have you. You, you, push, you push the pause button. Oh, okay. So we just push the pause button on the story. And I want us to, to just pause just a moment after all this explanation and, and think about the heart of what's going on here. They're fearing, but why are they fearing? And you can say, well, come on, I mean, they're ready to be annihilated in the desert. Wouldn't you fear too? Sure. But, but let's look more closely at the heart of the, the matter. Let's look, let's look at fear itself. You know that, that fear by its very nature, at least what we see here in this passage, that this fear by its nature caused our ancestors to fixate on the present and their present circumstances to such an extent that they lost sight of what God had done for them in the past and what he promised to do for them in the future. Now, that's a very important point. Kids, I want you to listen again. Listen to this. The people of Israel were so afraid because of what they were facing with that army in their present circumstances that they lost sight. They weren't thinking of what God had done for them in the past and what he promised to do for them in the future. Now, why do I say that? Because it's clearly seen right here in the story before us, right? So here are the Israelites, they're facing this army, and it is, it is so frightening for them that, that they, they lose sight of what God had done for them in the past. What did God do for them in the past? Well, you have to, lead, you have to read the, the beginning chapters of Exodus leading up to chapter 14 to figure that out, but here's basically a synopsis. God's people were, were in the land of Egypt, a land of oppression, and you remember that God himself sent ten plagues to force the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the Egyptians to let his people go. Ten plagues. The ninth plague, do you remember what that was? It was the plague of darkness. And while God put just a darkness, it's very interesting, the Bible says it was a darkness that could be felt, it must have been eerie. And God brought darkness upon the land of Egypt, but he gave light his people. Then came the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And when God sent that disease, or the angel of death, I should say, upon the Egyptians, God spared the firstborn of the Israelites. You see what he's doing? He's, he's placing this hedge of protection around his people. Then finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. And the people of Israel take some of the wealth of Egypt with them. God gives that to, the, to his people. 
You make sure that happens. Then they leave Egypt through the hand of Moses, the leadership of Moses. God provides them with a leader. And then they go on in their travels, and what does God do? He, he leads them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The point is, and I could mention other details here, time and time again, God is caring for his people. God is leading them. God is guiding them. Now, as it comes to this critical juncture in the story where they're facing annihilation, the proper thing, although it would have been very difficult, but the proper thing for the Israelites to say, if this is our God, if he has promised us this land, and if he has promised to guide us and has tangibly shown us this and has protected us in the past and provided for us, will he not do it now? Or is he going to give up on us? You know, um, Joy and I were, were, were just uh, considering this passage this past week, having a little bit of conversation, and, and uh, she mentioned something I thought, that is worth bringing out. She said, you know what, um, when, when you're young, and our kids are in their 20s and uh, 30s, and when you're young, let's say... I don't know, 18 to 25, let's say. Um, you, you, you understand that if you grow up in a Christian home, you, you know the love of God, and you know you've been adopted as a son or a daughter, and that God's not going to, to let you go. Now, sometimes that's more up here than it is, is here, because when you're young, you're launching out, and you wonder how things are going to go, and sometimes things are not very easy. It's not easy living in this world. And... Um, and then you compare yourself to somebody who's in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or let's say even 80s. And if you're here and you're in your 20s or late teens, uh, do yourself a favor sometime and connect with a discerning older individual and ask that older individual, were things always easy for you? And I guarantee they will say, no. Did God always provide for you? And they will say, yes. See, when you're, you're 18 to 25, you've lived a while, but you have not lived as long as when you're middle-aged or older years. So you have not had the, the tangible opportunities in your life to see the track record of God through your difficulties. He keeps providing. He keeps providing. And the older people will say here, you listen to that because it's true. Don't be anxious. It's, it's, it's a scary world sometimes. Keep trusting Christ. He promised. He promises to care for you, okay? Now, let's keep moving on. One other thing with the Israelites, in the midst of their fearful circumstances, not only did they not take into consideration the track record of God, what he had done for them in the past, but that they were not considering the promises of God regarding their future and what he promised to do for them and actually, as we move ahead, what he did do for them. So after this situation, what did God do for his people? He continued to lead them with an angel of the Lord. He provided them bread from heaven. He provided water from the rock of Meribah. He, he provided meat for them. I mean, these are desert conditions. He destroyed their enemies before them. I mean, he continued to care for his people. And there's going to come a point where Moses, before the people actually enter into the promised land, this is 40 years later, 
gives a long sermon to his people in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you know this, but the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, is like a, a long, long sermon. It's what it is. And so he's given this sermon to the people, and Moses at one point says to his people, now, after 40 years, right, you remember what God did for you, right, how he provided for you and how he destroyed your enemies before you. And then he says this. I love this. I don't know if you remember this, but he says to his people, and you remember how for 40 years God kept your clothes and your sandals from wearing out. Now, um, my wife and I, Joy, we, we came here from Phoenix, and I know some of you sometimes go to Arizona to get away and get some sunshine and stuff. Well, go there in the summer sometime and experience the oven, and then go out into the desert, okay? And when you go out into the desert, um, I tell you what, I've been out to the desert many times for a number of hours. The heat will get to you, but also this, it's sandy, it's dusty, there are sharp stones, there's pricklers everywhere, there's cacti. It's, 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 sometimes it's very beautiful, but it, it also is, is uh, really, really hard. And you've got to watch out for the snakes as well. So take it from me, your clothes, and you, let's say you're wearing sandals. If you're going to travel in the desert, I'll tell you what, after two months, your clothes and your sandals are going to be completely trashed. And God... Moses says to the people we are, regarding what God had done for them, he said, he didn't allow your clothes or your sandals to wear out. Hey, for 40 years, for 40 years. Now, if that's our kind of, the kind of God that we serve, the same God who doesn't change for the people of Israel, our ancestors, then should we be afraid? Yeah, but sometimes we are. And our fear keeps us from absorbing what I just told you and appreciating what I just told you regarding God's care for his people. All right, now, finally Moses speaks to the people. They're crying out to him. And so what's Moses' response? Four bullet points. First of all, shh, be silent, be still. Stop. In other words, stop crying out, okay? Because that's just an expression of your faithlessness. Just, just stop, shh. And secondly, what I want you to do is, I, I, I want you not to be afraid anymore. Thirdly, what I want you to do is I want you to watch. Just stand there and watch what God's going to do. And then, what I want you to do, I want you to go forward. Don't throw out the white flag of surrender. Just don't cry for mercy from the Egyptians because you're not going to get it. Just move forward. If you think about it, if you, if, if you examine the Bible and you start with the book of Genesis and you go all the way to the end, to the book of Revelation, you know what you're going to find? You're, you're, you're going to find this, this, this finger pointing forward. You're going to find that God's people are rarely just sitting still. They're always moving, moving forward. So, for instance, you read in the book of Genesis about Abraham. Remember, God said... That God took him out of darkness, and God said to Abraham, listen, your descendants are going are gonna to inherit that land one day, so start heading out for the promised land. So Abraham goes from a place called Ur of the Chaldees to Haran and on the way to the promised land. Then the people of Israel, still not in the promised land yet after many centuries, they are in the land of oppression in Egypt. Then God says, move forward, and I'm going to do that, I'm going I'm, I'm to have you do that through Moses, I want you to follow Moses. So Moses leads him forward out 
of Egypt and into a desert. Because of faithlessness and lack of trust in God, they wander in that wilderness. They just wander around for 40 long years until God says, okay, you've been disciplined long enough. Now what I want you to do is I want, to move, want you to move forward and I want you to go into the land of Canaan. Who takes leadership after Moses? It's a man named Joshua, a man of courage. So he leads them out of the desert forward into the promised land. After they're in the land for a while, they lose the land, once again, because of faithlessness and disobedience. So God has them exiled to the land of Babylon about a thousand miles away for 70 long years. For 70 years they're there, and then God says, now what I want you to do is I want you to move forward again. Move forward where? I want you to go back to your homeland, and I want you to rebuild your lives. I want you to rebuild the temple and the Jerusalem walls that were destroyed, and I want you to build your lives spiritually. Then comes Jesus, and Jesus, what he does is he reconstitutes the people of God. He seeks to produce faith in them and commitment and obedience to him. So he gathers 12 disciples as a way of beginning to reconstitute Israel. Jesus lives on this earth. He suffers. He dies. He rises from the dead, which we celebrated last week in our Easter service, and then he ascends into heaven. And before he ascends into heaven, what does he promise his disciples, all his followers? He said, and you shall in time receive power from on high when my spirit comes upon you, and you know what you're going to do? You're not going to just sit there. You're going to move forward. And you're going to be my witnesses, spirit-empowered witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and then moving outward to Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the world. And even Jesus himself, if you notice his ministry, he's always moving forward. A telos, the Greek word is, he has a purpose of moving forward to a certain destination. What is that destination? The destination is the cross. So he's moving forward to the cross. And ultimately where? In his ascension to the right hand of God, full of power and authority and glory. So the Bible says, for the joy set before him, not in back of him, for the joy set before him, he despised the shame, endured the cross, and was seated at the right hand of God in fullness of glory and power and authority. Even Jesus is always moving forward. Brothers and sisters, listen. I'm going to start drawing down now. We as a people here, you are in Christ. Together we're moving forward. Hopefully we're all moving forward. We are in this wilderness called life. And we're heading somewhere. Where are we heading? We're heading to the promised land. Not the promised land of Canaan. The promised land of the new creation, of the new heavens and the new earth. That's our telos. That's our goal. That's our end point. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's what it means to be a part of the church. You know, we're not only to be courageous in our walk with Christ, we're to be courageous also as a church. You know what? It is, it is not, um, and I'm, I'm speaking not exclusively, but primarily to the, the members of Pathway, but if you're visiting here, maybe you can appreciate some of this. It's not easy launching a church and moving forward because you never really know completely how it's going to go. I've said this um, before, I think, but I will say it again, that, that what is happening in Pathway is, is something that I've been a part of in, in two other churches, in southern Missouri, in the Ozarks, 
and elsewhere. And that's, it's starting out is not easy. And you don't know, you don't know. And it's, 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 it takes courage to take initiative and organize things, get things going. It takes courage to get people involved. It takes courage on your part to be involved. It takes courage just to keep moving forward, trusting that God will take care of all things. Um, it takes courage to, as a, as, a, as a missional church that cares about mission, it takes courage to be able to get into the lives of people, whether it be your relatives or be fellow workers or whoever God puts in your path to open your mouth. You know, people are not going to just, you know, watch you say, oh, you're kind of different and hey, why are you different? Sometimes that happens. And, hey, what kind of church you go to? Usually it doesn't happen like that. You have to initiate things with them. That takes courage. That takes boldness. You know what? It takes courage also to be a leader in the church. You know, we're going to, uh, uh, Elder Len noted that we have uh, a list of nominees and the brothers who let their name stand to, be, to serve in the church that takes, that takes courage. Not to say that some of you who, who declined at this point will not say yes in the future, but you're maybe facing family situation right now or personal things are going on in your life. We just think now is not the time. It's okay. But for those of you at this point who have said yes, brothers, I want to encourage you, that takes courage. Because leadership, I tell you what, it's full of many joyful things. I'm telling you, it's great. But there's many pressures as well. You've got to stand and act like men. You've got to be men. Not children, not women. You've got to be men. You've got to be courageous men to lead the body of Jesus Christ. Not to say that women are all insecure. Okay, I'm not saying that. But because we, 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 we love our women here. Because, you know, without the women of the church, uh, things fall flat real fast. So we need, e listen, the point is we need each other. And more could be said about this. But together, collectively, in light of this passage and other passages in the scriptures, we've got to keep moving forward. Forward. And you know what? There's going to be missteps along the way where we can sometimes trip over each other, where there are sins in the body, which we will face, okay? There's always the grace of Christ. There's the grace of the cross. And together, as a church, we live as a repentant and believing people, throwing ourselves daily upon Christ and the power of His Spirit to keep moving forward. Now, 60 seconds, I leave you with this. People needed to go forward. What did they do? I don't know what you would do. But they did what God told them to do. What Moses commanded them to do. They moved forward. And we know the story, right? God opened up the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And in time, the Egyptian forces followed them and God caused those waters to fall down upon the Egyptians and they were decimated. They were killed. God keeps his people alive, keeps them moving forward to the promised land. But oh, the Egyptians, the oppressors, were brought to their end. And toward the end of the chapter, this is what we read. And the people of God saw what God did, and they feared him. They didn't fear the Egyptians. They didn't fear their circumstances. They feared him. That is, they respected him. They revered him for what he did for them. And the last thing it says is they believed in the Lord. They believed him. No more faithlessness, no more fright. 
they believe. Brothers and sisters, whatever you are facing in your life right now is causing anxiety or insecurity or various fears. Remember this passage. Remember what the Lord did for his people. And let us remember this also as a church to be, according to our core value, a courageous, a courageous, bold people. All right, enough said. Let's, let's come to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for that. We pray precisely for the one thing that oftentimes, Lord, keeps us from intentionality in our personal lives and in the church and keeps us from commitment in our personal lives and our church, and that is boldness, that is courage. Lord, you're the one who has to give this to us. Grant that, O oh God, we pray. Grant us a spirit of boldness, the very boldness that comes through prayer and also through the Holy Spirit, so that, Lord, as we forge ahead, we may receive multiple, multiple blessings from your hand for our sake, for Abbotsford's sake, and ultimately, O oh Lord, for your sake, so that you may receive all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.